Hello and welcome back to the Formation Podcast. This is episode number 43. For 42, we were the three-mation um, for hopefully one time only, but we're back this week to all four of us being involved. Um, and it's good to be back with having four of us. Harry, you're back. You had a nice breakaway, I take it, but also you, you made it back for that draw with Man United on the weekend. Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. I wasn't expecting a point whatsoever. I think it's the first time since 2008-9 when I first came, uh, went to St. Mary's. I, was, I went there not expecting anything. And we got a point, probably should have been three. You know, Armstrong had a couple chances to win it. But if you offered me a point at the start of the game, I'd be more than happy with that. So, yeah, we've got our season underway. One point and, uh, yeah, Newcastle up next. Yeah, and we'll come on to talk about that a bit later on. But I do think a, a lot of people were writing Southampton off before that game, probably wrongly, given um, just how much the home advantage has helped teams so far this season. Um, Devon, another good weekend for your team as well. Um, I think it's probably surprised you a little bit, hasn't it? Just how good the start has been. I, I'm not sure you were that optimistic going into it, were you? No, I mean, the signings, like I said, have been a massive advantage to that. Um, Darren Moore's done a real good job and he's not... It, so Obviously, some of the players I know are, are up to it. He's thrown straight in and those players have actually got us out of a position where, uh, it, especially in them early games where you're expecting us to lose a couple because, you know, they're still gelling. We're actually picking up scrappy wins at times whilst we're coming. And I think on Saturday showed actual a first actual uh, cohesive performance where... You know, even when we were under the cosh, we dealt with it. I think they really had two, three shots that went close. And obviously, Bailey Peacock, Farrell, saving the penalty. Absolutely brilliant penalty save. And then obviously the scenes that ensued afterwards, which I think against, you think about it as well, we got a point off of Charlton who will be in top six probably at the end of the season. Rotherham will be up there. We've beat them already. Um, things are starting to pan out and shape out really well. It's just about that when we do concede that first goal, how do we react? And when we get that first loss, how do we go on from that? Yeah, absolutely right. And Sam, your team, Grimsby Town, you it must have been um, a good few weeks, but also um, kind of maybe a, a nervy couple of weeks while you were almost just waiting and waiting for your season to get underway. I, I believe that is happening this weekend, if that's right. Yes, you must be pretty at, excited for that. At home to Weymouth. So it's exciting to finally get underway considering our game last weekend was called off, which is actually going to be on telly. There's going to be a later kickoff away to Bromley. So disappointing that we didn't get to see that, but finally getting underway and excited for what we can do this season. There's a real, real buzz around the club, even though we've you know, got relegated last season, we're back in non-league. There's a lot of optimism around the new ownership and what we can do in the future. So looking forward to getting underway. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Norwich's season as well, obviously, get started this weekend too um but we're, <laughs> we might come on to mention that a little bit it just gets started but the goal difference is in the negative for, for some reason i don't know who we've played or who we've As lost to um, <laughs> um before we move on to kind of look ahead to some of the big games coming up this weekend um looking back on last weekend that FPL because we, we like to keep you updated on this. In terms of our league, um, we told you last week that Cunaguero topped it. That is still the case after game week two. Um, they scored 85 points this week, so a pretty good return. Um, they weren't quite the highest scorers for the last game week, though. The top points scored um, 
in our league was 86. Um, and that was shared by two players uh, who were Quinn Godfrey and Ollie Cotton, a couple of mates from mine from school. Um, so well done to those two. Quinn's doing particularly well, riding high in third place. Um, if you want to join that league, then the code is, of course, in the description. And you can also find it on our socials. Um, as for the head-to-head, I don't really want to talk about this, really. Well, the, the head-to-head between the, the full <laughs> formation. Devon hasn't looked at it yet. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised, Devon. Um, you had the best week out of the four of us. Um, and you beat The Sam. only time this season... I don't, think that's saying, your... I don't think that's saying much because I did pretty poorly. <laughs> Which is, oh, never mind. I think that's your, your first win in the head-to-head, Devon. To be honest, I, ca- I can't believe you you were the highest scorer but still didn't have Antonio somehow because Antonio almost made mine, turned my week from very poor to below par. Um, I still wasn't too impressed by it because Harry still managed to beat me. Um, so Harry's <laughs> got two wins out of two on that front. Um, but we'll we'll keep an eye on that as the weeks go on. Devon's not sure he's going to be able to live up to that ever again. But I don't know about that. Honestly, last last week I thought, oh, I, I semi remembered my team, and I was like, oh, I think I've had a good week. And I looked at my points, and it was still ten points below average. And that's me really most. That, that actually sums up. I, that may as well be in my profile. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we will keep an eye on that as the weeks go on. As we said. Um, We'll move on now then to take a look at some of the games coming up this weekend. And there are several juicy ones, to be honest. I think um, the big clubs, maybe this is wrong of me to say, but they often get kind of eased into the season. Maybe maybe I'm, in terms of fixtures, maybe I'm saying that because my team has certainly not been eased into it in terms of fixtures. Um, but now we start to see some clashes between the big teams. Um, I suppose we had one last week in the form of Arsenal and Chelsea, if you're counting Arsenal as a big team. But there's a couple coming up this weekend. I've I've got to that point now. The first of which um, is on Saturday lunchtime, is at the Etihad Stadium. Um, This involves Arsenal as well. So the fact I've just questioned that they're a big club um, makes me look a right tit now I've got to this stage. Um, (laughs) But it is Manchester City against Arsenal. Um, on Saturday at the Etihad Stadium. Arsenal going into this game, um, which is a pretty daunting game, you'd have to say, having lost their opening two. Harry, do you give them any chance of getting a result at the Etihad? Look, George, it's football. Anything can happen. But do I? Probably not. I mean, they'll certainly be helped. You know, they've got momentum back. They beat West Brom 6-0 in what was technically, well, for us anyway, yesterday, yes, West Brom did, I believe, have six debutants, and there was a lot of people under 20 that started. I think Snodgrass and Adam Reach were just a, a couple of players that you probably wouldn't count as that. And even with Snodgrass, he's played most of his fixtures or all of his fixtures this season for the under 23s. But, you know, you can only beat what's in front of you, and that will help them get momentum. You know, they started players like Odegaard, Saka, Albamyang, and when they were four or five, like, they still brought on Lacazette to get a goal as well. So it'll bring confidence back into the squad. I think they'll certainly be happy they didn't have to face an informed West Brom side because I think they, they, might have, they might have struggled. I know West Brom won't have been brilliantly defensively, but I think they would have still struggled that game. So the fact that they've now finally got their first win on the board, it will give them a certain amount of hope, a certain amount of optimism, but I can still see it be a convincing win for Manchester City, even though they don't have a striker. 
Yeah, and looking back on last weekend for Arsenal, obviously we covered last week their opening day defeat to Brentford, but they went down 2-0 um, to Chelsea last week. Sam, where do you stand on that result in terms of... I, I think there's been a bit of a split in terms of public opinion and some have said um, Arsenal simply weren't up to it and, you know, it just continues a really... Um, poor mood around there and and others others have suggested that Arsenal weren't too bad it was just Chelsea are just a bit too good where do you sit on that one yeah it's probably a mixture of both I think they talked about a bit on MNF their game plan going into the game was clearly to stop the balls getting into the Kaku trying to stop Mason Mount and Kai Havertz which they did well at the start with the with the two deep line midfield players but once Habits and Mount started to drop a bit deeper. They got dragged out and they managed to get the ball to Lukaku a lot and he just absolutely manhandled Pablo Mari for most of the game, I think. And they had that that period of real dominance in the first half, obviously, Chelsea. In the second half, I think Arsenal were a bit better at, at stopping uh, Chelsea's attacks. But yeah, like you say, Chelsea are going to be up there. They, they're one of the title favourites. It was always going to be a hard game for a young Arsenal squad. A lot of new signings to ingratiate into the team, so... It was, a, it was always going to be a difficult game. And I don't think they did too poorly in, in, in all senses, but it wasn't the best day for them, really. No, absolutely not. Um, it's interesting when we talk about um, going to the Etihad and just how daunting that prospect is, because obviously last weekend uh, I was there um, watching my team. And when I, when I look back on it and think about how I felt before the game, I can remember checking my phone at two o'clock to see the lineup, seeing the City one and thinking, oh, there's no, there's no De Bruyne here. Mares is on the bench. Sterling's on the bench. Foden's not even included either. And you see that before the game and you think, hang on, maybe we've got just a smidgen of a chance here. And then the game starts two minutes in and you're camped in your own half and you're thinking, you know, we're how are we, how we going to have a hope here? So it, it, that kind of just emphasised to me even more, I know we've spoken about this before, but it emphasised to me the squad depth is just, you know, it's... Ridiculous. I'm, I'm try- yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's crazy, isn't it, Devon? Uh, how, how, how do Arsenal go about stopping them? I think they're going to really struggle. Obviously, the, 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 the b- biggest way that they need to do is probably absorb the, the pressure from City, hit them on the counter, but I don't think Arsenal are that good on the counter anymore. Um, and you know, like we said, with the, the squad depth, City are just unbelievable. And I think even even if you pitched up their second team against Arsenal, they'd finish higher in the table uh, come a end of a season. Um, and I just think Manchester City, obviously, um, the the loss at the start of the season um, sort of kicked fire them last weekend, and they took their frustrations out on yourselves, that uh, George. But um, I just, I just can't see anything other than a Manchester City win. No, I'm not sure anyone can, to be honest. Ha- Harry, have you got anything you want to add on that? Yeah, sort of similar to Devon in the fact that Tottenham have already won. Sorry, Manchester City have already lost a game this season. That was, to, you know, their North London rival Spurs. That Arsenal's North London rival Spurs. That is. So there is a blueprint to win the game. But looking at what Devon says, he's not wrong in the fact that I don't think. They're as good in the counter-attack. I don't look at all their players. Man for man, I don't think they're that much worse. But if you look at the systems, 
I don't see them as a counter-attacking side, so they're going to have to try and find a way to make make the tick, make the tactic, make the system work. Because otherwise, I think they'll just get blown away as they as they usually do against Manchester City. Yeah, I think probably even Arsenal fans don't hold out, don't hold out much hope for this Saturday, and um, could be an interesting fixture for them. Should they lose it, that would leave them still on zero points. Um, and after the international break, Norwich go to the Emirates. Um, so Norwich are obviously going to be on three points by that stage, um, obviously. Is that the second um, fixture? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that could be one to keep an eye on um, in a couple of weeks' time. But we shall move on um, to talk about one of the 3pm games on Saturday. Um, Harry will probably be particularly interested in how this one pans out as it involves his team. Um, Southampton, they head to St James's Park to take on Newcastle. Newcastle, like Arsenal, Sam, um, are yet to pick up a point this season. Um, they were also knocked out of the Carabao Cup last night, so that that's kind of another disappointing note for them. Um, there's going to be a lot of pressure this weekend on Steve Bruce to deliver a result, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, they will take heart from their home record against Southampton in the league. They've only lost one of their last 16 against the Saints in the Premier League. So they'll take heart from that recent record. But like you say, things have soured quickly already this season. and They've kept just two clean sheets in their last 24 at home. So that's not a good sign for them. And the way Southampton ended their game against Man United, they would have taken a lot of positives from that. And I think... And also, obviously, the the thrash of Newport in the League Cup, so they'll have some momentum on their side. So I think this could easily be a win for Southampton, despite their obvious, obvious recent record against Newcastle at St. James's Park. Love that, Sam. Love that from you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Harry, are, are you kind of um, viewing this one as one that your players can maybe enjoy with a bit more freedom in that you're going to an arena in which all the pressure is going to be put upon Newcastle. It's obviously a big game for yourselves as well, but um, you obviously won't have kind of that cauldron of noise, which is... What I'm trying to say is there's going to be a lot of tension in there, but it's going to be directed towards their players more than your own. You're not wrong, but I think any game away from home this season, more than any other season ever, it's going to be very, very difficult to get anything out of. And I know we talk about statistics and records and the fact that Saints, they've only won one of their last 16, as Sam said. But, you know, that does play in players' mind, or at least I think that would play in your mind if you're thinking, I'm travelling like 10 hours upwards to get there. And that's all the, all the little intricate things. That's probably why Saints have a great record at home against Newcastle. You, you know, flip it on its head. Uh, but yeah, I, you're probably right in the fact that Newcastle's fans are expecting, especially because Steve Bruce is going to become or in the mounting amount of pressure, despite the fact that they have only made one signing. I think I think they finished 12th last season as well. Maybe maybe a bit low. I'm not too sure. But even going into this game, neither team have won a game in the league, and I think that's that's still a certain amount of pressure because if you go into the break and you're still either in the relegation zone or you, ha you haven't picked up a win, that's going to put a tremendous amount of pressure because I know Saints, you know, they drew against Manchester United and they beat Newport, but if they lose to Newcastle, then all, all the form and everything, everything from the last week sort of, sort of gets put in the bin. Devon, I saw quite an interesting piece this morning on the athletic. I, I think it was a writer who's pretty focused on Newcastle um, and he was saying how um, 
the defeat to Burnley in the League Cup is a more damaging one than people would maybe assume because in the last two seasons, Newcastle's fans have clung on to a cup competition and a run in there as as kind of a side note from the league, which has been pretty miserable for them. So how much of a blow can you see that being? You know, particularly if they were to play Southampton and lose at the weekend, you know, they're going to be an uproar, aren't they? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, like, like I said, Newcastle really don't have any much joy anyway under Steve Bruce. Um, <clears throat> even if they had the players, the style's not pretty. Um, and obviously, Steve Bruce always seems to be one game away from the sack. Um, so even now, the the early pressure, is, as I've mentioned, is still on. But this is a Newcastle side that did score three against uh, two, sorry, against West Ham, and at times challenged them. But you know, obviously, the quality prevailed and. Southampton, you know, they've been known before Sarri Ari that they've come off of two great performances, one against Manchester United, one against in the League Cup, and then failed to show up for these kind of matches, which has cost them in the past. But, you know, I think the form is on Southampton's side. I think there's, there's there seems to be a decent feeling around around them at the minute anyway, despite the the the, the individuals that they've lost in recent weeks. Um and like you said, Newcastle, even though the support will be there, it's just not looking, it's looking pretty bleak. And even with Newcastle, it sort of takes them a few weeks to get into a season anyway. If you look at Newcastle, they will certainly have hope that the Saints never seem to be comfortable on a 1-0, 2-0 lead. So if they go into the 60th minute, say if Southampton have taken the lead and, the, and they're 1-0 up, I think Saints have already, well, not think, I know Southampton have already dropped five points this season into like two games of winning positions. Last season, they dropped 23 points from winning positions. You know, they're not comfortable holding a lead. So I think Newcastle could have a certain amount of optimism knowing whatever the score is, if we just get a goal, the, the game's ours to be taken. And, the problem, the problem is you look at Southampton's previous results, a lot of their goals that they've conceded have come from individual errors. So just keep knocking on the door. And I'm sure, you know, players like Callum Wilson, players like Almiron, players like St Maximan, if, they can, if they're all fit for the game, they're going to cause the defenders so many problems. What do you mean, Harry? You, you scored, you went in front last night and then scored seven more for good measure. I don't know what you're on about. I mean, I'd be more than happy. I'd be more than happy to see that on Saturday, but against teams that have got Premier League quality. I know Newport have a great record in the Carabao <laughs> Cup. They got to the fourth round last year. They've beaten top teams like Leicester in the past, but Newcastle will be a different proposition, especially because I think Newport had to make six changes from their last game because of because uh, of injuries. I don't I don't expect Newcastle will have have that sort of problem. Do you think um, Hassan Hurt will, will maybe be tempted to bring in a few from that cup win, or was it kind of, I, I suppose the fact that you're that the league game before you put a good shift in makes it difficult to rotate that. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think there's a lot of people that did impress, but I think a, a draw against Manchester United in a weird way, or not even really in a weird way, is a lot more impressive than a than an 8-0 win against Newport. You know, you look at players like Liveramento, he's had a fantastic start, the 18-year-old. Adams and Armstrong up front, they've played together twice, but they only look phenomenal as a partnership. I think, you know, you look at the players that weren't involved yesterday, those are the players that will probably come back in. They've been rested for a reason. And You know, you look at Southampton now, we're, we're sort of talking off-air about it or off the podcast. 
I was new to have been quite brave in saying that, you know, his squad's ready now. And now there's that level of expectation. Whereas last season, when there was injuries, he could always go on the back of, well, I've only got a left back, one left back, so we're going to have to play a centre back there or we'll have to play a winger up front. <laughs> now, now he said that he's happy with his squad. There's that the pressure's now on. The pressure is seriously on. And if they lose to Newcastle, it, it could be worrying, even though we're only three games into the season. The blueprint is obvious, though, to beat Newcastle. And you stop the obvious characters, then you've got a really good chance. You get those legs in midfield in particular, because I think Newcastle really lack mobility in that area. They've shown that in, the, in their defeats already this season. Later on in games, they seem to struggle quite a lot. So I think the blueprint is obvious to beat them. And you get get towards the end of the game with a close scoreline, you've got all, all the chance in the world. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting game for sure, that one. And I, I think... Difficult one for the bookies to predict, and I'll certainly be staying away for it. I hope it isn't included on the Super 6, but I'm sure it will be, um, given it's a 3pm game. Um, But I think this weekend, it is Saturday, which is kind of filled with um, the more exciting games, you could say, um, because on Saturday at 5.30, it's Liverpool against Chelsea, and also, it's it's kind of an individual battle that will take place in that game, which I think most people are really looking forward to seeing, which is, of course, Van Dijk against Lukaku. Um, Sam, I think this this has been covered on Monday Night Football. It was covered after the Super Sunday. And, you know, it's probably been covered on every <laughs> podcast covering the Premier League this week. But the Romelu-Lukaku performance last weekend was something to behold wasn't it yeah in one game he showed how much he's come along in those in those two years he's been away from the Premier League under Antonio Conte's stewardship at Inter Milan I think he's got he's obviously got the pace he's obviously got the power but he's added a lot more finesse to his game his hold-up play in particular in that Arsenal game was brilliant the way like I mentioned already the way he just manhandled Pablo Mari whenever he got the ball to his feet he backed up against him and Brought other players into play, the likes of Mountain Havertz and you know the creative the creative players he's got around in there at Chelsea is only gonna be to his benefit, as we saw in that Arsenal game. But like you say, this is a whole nother test against Liverpool with Van Dyke back in the in the centre of the defence. He's one of the best defenders in the world, if not the the best defender. So he can they said as they said on MNF, he can defend in one-on-one, two-on-one situations with ease, but as we say, Lukaku's come on a long way since we last saw him in the Premier League. So it should be should be a really good battle. These two teams have had identical starts to the league. Liverpool have taken the most shots so far. Chelsea have faced the fewest. So there's a lot of things to going into this game that will that excite the neutrals, definitely. Absolutely. And I think I I'm not entirely sure how the Liverpool fans feel about it going in, but I personally worry slightly for Van Dyke going into this one, not because he's not um, he's not physically fit, because I think the fact that he's come through two ninety minutes already un- unscathed suggests that he is more than ready to start. I-, I would just worry because of the the challenges that he has faced so far have been nothing compared to what he is about to come up against. You know, Norwich on the opening day, while we were um, while we were trying to break through in the opening half an hour or whatever it was, you know, we didn't really lay a glove on Liverpool. And I think <clears throat> while while Burnley are very physical and c- kind of put themselves about at Liverpool and, um, you know, 
he, he had a couple of situations to deal with. I still don't think that is anything close to the level that he's going to face on Saturday. Would that be a concern of yours as well, Dev? Yeah. Um, I don't actually think the main battle is between that. I think with, with how, Van, uh, how Lukaku plays, obviously, like Sam said, he, he likes to, as soon as that arm sort of comes round and, and like sort of pat, pats him on the shoulder and unless, unless Van Dyke can get round and sort of nick the ball beforehand or sort of, drops off a little bit it's the battle afterwards if you're in that situation you, you've got to think the second whoever plays at the cent, uh, second central defensive uh, position has got to watch either either if Fern is playing his run round because obviously Kaku that first step has got to be in there and then you know Samiskas is on the side where's Havertz going to be uh, where's Reese James going to be on the overlap Marcus Alonso has played a lot more uh, forward now so they're sort of attacking as a five and it's it's whether the you know likes of Fabinho can drop in and sort of win the ball before it gets to Lukaku. That's going to be the main battle. Um, but as you say, Van Dyke still fragile, still eighty percent fit, but his defensive brain is is fantastic. Harry, um, Devon's kind of hinted at it there in his last point, but do you think? it's maybe wrong to look at this game as just one individual battle because of the quality that both teams possess all over the pitch. Yeah, I think the point that you made it earlier was interesting about Van, uh, yeah, Virgil van Dijk maybe not having a big test so far this season, which is correct, but I also think it's a good thing in the fact that he had two games to sort of get into the season and now he's got Lukaku rather than getting Chelsea first game of the season. Yeah. But I think the game might just be one on the wings. A, because of Liverpool's attacking quality, due to the fact they've got Mane, due to the fact they've got Salah. If Harvey Elliott comes off the bench, you know, all three of them are absolutely brilliant. But also, if you look at the Liverpool fullbacks against the against the Chelsea fullbacks, that's basically how Chelsea won the last game. Tierney was way too far up the pitch, basically all game. And that's how they scored their opening two goals. And you look at whether Tiskimas plays or whether Robertson plays, both of them have, have to be very, very disciplined and not bomb up the field because otherwise Reese James will just make an absolute meal of it and he'll, he'll just get so much space down there. So, yeah, I think the fullbacks of both teams have to be very disciplined and the wingers, if they do get the space, have to make the most of it when they get it. You've got to look at the managerial battle as well. I think, although Man City are the champions right now, Tuchel's the man to beat, really, beating Pep mm. three times last season. Took his Chelsea side to Anfield last season as well and, and won as well. So, And there's a history between Tuchel and Klopp as well. Tuchel took over Klopp at Mainz and at Dortmund and they're two German managers who have had a great impression on this league already. So I think that's a that's a battle to look out for as well, how each, each of them lines up their teams and how they try to outwit each other in this game. I suppose we should probably remember as well that obviously... Liverpool's Anfield record last year was broken, but their record at Anfield with a full crowd still dates back to that time when they were beaten by Chelsea. What was it? Five years ago now. So it, it's still it's still a big beast to overcome, isn't it, Devon? The, the fact that you you've got to go there with that Anfield crowd, and I know I know there was a load of stuff on. Twitter over the weekend about how they they sung "You'll Never Walk Alone" and then they were quiet for the rest of it. But there's, there's still something about it, isn't there? Yeah, you'd expect that, um, especially in the magnitude of the game. No offense to Burnley, but if anyone's excited for Burnley at home, then 
you know, you need, you probably need a little bit more enjoyment and elsewhere. <laughs> um, but you know, the, like I said, the game, the game is a fantastic one. It, it's setting up to be um, everyone wants goals and stuff, so it will probably be nil nil. Um, <laughs> especially with me being live on Sky, but I just, I, I, it, it should be. It, it's, yeah, it's got all the ingredients to be two attacking sides, obviously. As, as you've both mentioned that all three of us have mentioned all three of you have met Jesus apologies this is like the actual recording of normal podcast um with Chelsea's fullbacks going forward and then obviously Liverpool counter-attacking that with with their wingers and fullbacks it's going to be it's just going to be who's going to outscore um the other um or who can uh, deal with that sort of press better I don't know what point I'm trying to make <laughs> do you think they'll be ambitious? Do you think both teams will be ambitious in the attack, or do you think it will be more the fact of none of them want to concede a stupid goal? So both sets of fullbacks on each side might just be a bit more cautious than if they were playing a Burnley or if they were playing a, a Norwich or, or now an Arsenal as well, because they're not as big as they used to be. I'm not like sure to... that. Go on, Dev. No, no, no. Go on. I was just going to say I'm not sure that um, the fullbacks of either Liverpool and Chelsea are. You know, I'm not sure they have it in their system to be cautious. I think someone like Reece it's, James it's, is just yeah, it's wing backs in Chelsea's case, isn't it? Because mm. Tuchel settled on this three-four-two-one formation, so it looks like, and they play quite flexible with it as well. Like I say, with Mountain Havertz dropping back a lot in that Arsenal game to draw the mid, the opposition midfielders out to create space then for Lukaku to pick up the ball, and then he feeds it to one of the wide players on the bombing on wing backs like Reece James, like you say, so. I think you settled on that and they, they play quite a big part in the attack, those wing-backs for Chelsea. But e- well, even it. even though the Liverpool ones are part of a four, they're, they're pretty much wing-backs, aren't they? Yeah. They, they, they don't have much of a care. They, they obviously do have a care for their defensive work, but, you know, they're all the time trying to do it. Devin, what, what were you going to add? Sorry. I was just going to say, like, you'd expect either Chelsea if they set up with Jorginho or if Chelsea Trailers in, in midfield, that um, especially as we saw in in the uh, in the in the Euros, that uh, how good Jorginho was in front of that back two uh, with Chiellini and Benucci, um, sort of protecting it, winning in midfield, or dropping back into a back three and sort of you know like attacking. Obviously, when Liverpool go forward, you'd expect it to be you know Jota, Mane, and uh, and and Salah probably. Um, so a three on three battle, you probably it, it's it's more favourable. So. And likewise with Liverpool is the the because Chelsea are more um, not conservative, but they'll hold possession a lot better than Liverpool will in terms of going forward. They'll probably be a little bit more slow press rather than um, flying at them like Liverpool like to do. You'd expect you'd be hoping anyway that the likes of uh, Fabinho and, and maybe Kate if he starts to sort of try and frustrate and win the ball back in them deep areas, and then that's where the, the attack will start. In the, in the system that Chelsea play, they have the luxury. They had, they started Jorginho and Kovacic in midfield and they had the luxury of bringing on N'Golo Kante later in the game to bring that energy. So that's that's a big weapon for them, the midfielders they have. And they if they can bring, you know, they start, they drop one of those three and then bring one of them on later to ride that energy when they're maybe holding the lead or chasing the game. That's a, that's a huge weapon for them, I feel. That's, it's likewise up front as well because, you know, if if Fernand doesn't start, he could come on and stretch that Liverpool defence as well with his runs and 
Pulisic can come on as well and drive through from the right inside. So there's plenty of options. Same with Ziyech as well. It, it, it's, it, it's a good side from this Chelsea, as we said, um, about them stepping up and sort of City. Um, sit there being them being City's biggest rivals and I think Liverpool we're probably yet to see pro, like I think Liverpool going a little bit unnoticed anyway because of, we're talking about these teams but Liverpool need to go and prove it if they are anyway well it's, it's the same team pretty much that got 97 points and 99 points for Liverpool so they're still a team to fear they're still a, a really good team so it should be a really good game and it's an interesting one as well maybe um, a decision Klopp has got to make I think Salah and Mane are pretty much nailed on, but Diogo Jota has had a good start to the season. However, Firmino is now seemingly a bit more match sharp. If it was up to you, Harry, who do you think you'd go with? Would you would you stick with a man in form, Jota? You've got to. If you've got a player in form, there's no point taking them out of the team, especially if they're performing in the Premier League. It's It's got to be Jota for me. I think Devon Devon was hinting at Jota as well there. I don't know. I I think I think he likes Firmino in the in the big games. I don't know. I, I'd I'd prefer, I'd actually like to see Firmino as that centre forward and actual start with Salah and Jota. I think. Oh, Mane. Mane. Even though he, Mane he scored Ooh. last weekend, but I think last season he enjoyed a poor one. And out of that front three, I think Mane is sort of the one that will be the one to leave rather, or the one to replace unfortunately I know Harry loves him but what, what about more, more of a cycle what about that, what about that space in behind Reese James though if it, do, you, do you want Mane exploiting that with his pace or do you I, I, I'm not I, I think it's a it's a fair enough suggestion because I think Mane hasn't been particularly impressive I know he's got he got his goal like you say so maybe that's an option they'll use but I mean, like you say that, but Reece, as we know, well, as I've well, we've voiced over the Euros, Reese James can get back and defend well. So you'd look on the opposite side whether Marcus Alonso is going to be more defensive on that side, and you look at that battle between him and Salah. Whether I don't, is Chilwell not fit? I've I've just um, I, I, great research from us. Um, but if Alonso does start, then you know Salah's going to be in every time, and I think coming on that sort of the last back post run, I think Jota's really good in them positions as well. Yeah, I have to say, I, I've, I've enjoyed that last kind of 10 minutes and it, it suggests hopefully what we think will be um, a really entertaining game because we've spoken about so many different individual battles there. Um, there was me thinking it would be mainly about Lukaku and Van Dijk, which I'm sure will be a great one in itself. But yeah, it, it's going to be an exciting game for sure. Um, I think on Sunday, Man United head to Wolves, don't they? Spurs have got Watford this weekend. Um, so there, there's a few watchable ones for sure. Um, before we round this one up this week, um, we thought we'd touch on something that we didn't really mention too much in our kind of preview for the season. Um, and that kind of surrounds the chances, no, the players who could be pushing for the golden boot this year. Um, the reason we kind of want to touch on that is that there's one player who won the Golden Boot last year, um, who we now know is going to be staying at his parent, well, at his parent club, <laughs> at his club, um, Harry Kane, of course. The club who raised him. <laughs> yeah, the club who raised him, his boyhood club. Um, before, before we kind of mentioned some of the players who we like for 
um, who we like as shouts for that award. Um, Sam, are you surprised that he's come to that decision or did you think it, it was kind of rolling towards that point as we got closer to the deadline? Yeah, I'm not necessarily surprised. I think Kane would have wanted it to happen himself, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks. But as we've already mentioned before, Daniel Levy is a very... I don't know what words he's stringent businessman. He's not going to, until he gets the right price, he's not going to budge on his evaluation of a player. And obviously City haven't met that with their with their bids so far. So he's staying a Tottenham player. Absolutely he is. Um, Harry, what did you immediately think of that yesterday? W- would you have liked to see him move on and maybe win those trophies? Or, or, or are you in a way pleased for Spurs in that, you know, they keep their their hero in a way although is he their hero anymore I don't know well, the reception he got at Wolves you can sort of say that there's no hard feelings between him and the Tottenham fans or really vice versa but like, I saw somewhere that now they're just going to try and offer him £400,000 a week but that's at least how much he wants but you look at Daniel Levy and you saw sort of what Sam said I think he'd happily accept less money next summer just to say I'm going to put my foot down and that's the decision no one can change that because you've seen it with multiple players Bale, Modric and others in the past so yeah I was a bit shocked that he's staying just because I think I, I, I was listening to I think it was talk sport I know a lot of people don't agree with a lot of their opinions but well, they finished seventh last season with Harry Kane so they're not going to do that I don't think they're going to do that much worth it much worse without him. So if I was them, I'd rebuild the squad and then try and hopefully get a top four spot from their point of view. But yeah, I, I'm slightly surprised he's still there, but it must mean that Manchester City are looking elsewhere and have, have an interest in a different striker. Yeah, that's... George got really red there. Just, just... <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, the that's the only yeah. time we're going to mention talk sport. Um, Alex, <laughs> Alex Crook, if you're watching, then stop, stop watching. We don't want you around these parts. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he's burnt he's burnt a link to the future <laughs> a certain a certain Erling Haaland will become available next year and that'll be obviously the worry for Kane because I think City will will definitely lean towards him unfortunately due to the age difference I think yeah you do feel as if Kane will think was this the only chance I don't know I suppose if he puts in another season with 30 Premier League goals or whatever around that mark, then he's still going to be in demand. To be fair, but... to be fair yeah, so. if this Mbappe thing doesn't happen, Madrid has shown that they're not actually poor with the bids that they're putting in. So Kane could still go there. He certainly could. Um, I suppose when it comes down to the golden boot then, um, Devin, can you see Harry Kane getting his head in gear as a Tottenham player again and and producing it for them again because I, I think some people do maybe have their doubts I don't know what's your take on that I think Harry Kane started it's a sort it's a completely different situation but we're even when Tottenham have had their poor season Harry Kane has still been up there in the golden boot shell and he's always remained professional um it's probably when that first goal comes if it comes this weekend or next weekend then I think he'll just you know carry on it'll snowball but I don't think we'll see. It just depends. Like they, they can't say too much because, like, as soon as that link up between uh, Son and Kane reignites, it's deadly. And we saw how good Harry Kane was—not just the goal scoring last season, but his actual in-play combinations. Um, 
let's get word back up. Uh, they get 40, 11 assists. So I, I just think, I think Harry Kane's too good not to do that. And, and now, if it, I think that Manchester City move, like we said, is gone now. Um, and I think that dream move to a bigger club, unless Manchester United coming for him or something like that next summer, has gone. And I think his focus now should be on trying to get that all-time Premier League goal-scoring record because um, I can't see Tottenham winning any sort of trophies in the next few years unless they have a good FA Cup run or something like that. But, yeah. No, but they have they have made a good start. So, fair play to Nuno there. I think he's proven a few people wrong with that start, but it is still early days. In terms of the golden boot then, there are so many names that you could kind of throw in for this one, which makes it difficult to kind of get it exactly on the money because any of these players could go on a run. Um, Sam, which kind of names have you got written down? I, I imagine there might be one player who we've already kind of raved about for his performance last week, which you've got in your thoughts. Yes, Romelu Lukaku is definitely amongst amongst those players to be up there for the Golden Boot. I mean, at the age of 28, we've got a man coming back into the league. He's already got 114 Premier League goals to his name and has refined his game so much, as I've already said. So with the creative talent he's got around him at Chelsea, he's going to have lots and lots and lots of chances created for him throughout the season. And he's become a lot more, lot more of a clinical finisher throughout his time. So I think he's definitely going to be up there for sure. Harry, what about you? What sort of names have you got in the equation? Yeah, I'm the exact same as Sam. I don't, well, I don't want to say the same thing, but I think he is the clear name. You know, you look at Manchester United and everyone on the on his last season said, oh, he was too big, he was too slow, he wasn't great. He's still got 15 goals. A man that is completely out of form, apparently, he's still got 15 goals. And like Sam said about half an hour ago, he went to Italy and he's come back a completely different man. He's already got a goal to his name and I think he's I think he's going to get a lot more. Because you look at Manchester City, you go, there's no clear goal scorer there at the moment. You look at Manchester United, another title rival, you go... Well, I'm not too sure who's going to... There's going to be a lot of goals in that team, but there's not a, a main man unless Greenwood somehow has a phenomenal season or Cavani stays fit. So I think there is one clear name, and I think that is Romelu Lukaku. Salah, Salah's got to be up there as well, because since he's joined Liverpool, he's not really had a, a season where he's had a massive drop-off in goals scored. You know, 98, goal, 98 Premier League goals in 160 appearances. It's hard to, hard to look past that, especially with the start he's had. One goal, two assists, he's very much still contributing to the Liverpool attack and with their with their team back to full strength and and back full of confidence again, you've got to have him up there as well. I just look at Lukaku's game. I know it's one game against Arsenal and I know he only, only scored one, but he had eight shots in that game and a guy that doesn't care where he takes shots from it is a dangerous one. It's a very dangerous one because if he doesn't, he won't keep that number up for the entire season. Don't get me wrong, there aren't going to be defenders as... But not bad because that's a bit harsh, but mentally weak as Arsenal's, let's say. But if you could get four or five shots off a game, I think Kane got four on average last season. You saw how many goals he scored. So if you could keep that number four or five up and most of them be in the box, you know, when you've got a player as clinical as Lukaku, when you've got a team around him that will get balls on a plate in on the penalty spot area, especially if he's on penalties as well, but then I guess Jorginho will keep that due to his impressive record there. I think I think Lukaku's got to be the main name, but yeah, like you say, Salah or uh, or Kane, if if he can start banging in the goals, Lukaku, now, now, like you say, his, yeah. clear, his future's clear. Lukaku is clearly a lot a lot fitter as well. He said that in interviews before, talking about how Antonio Conte trained and that inter team has 
has made has made sure that his fitness has come a long way as well. I can't believe none of you have um, said Aubameyang. He scored a hat trick against <laughs> West Brom reserves last night. Won it, won it before. None of you have said Aubameyang. Devon, um, you look like you're itching to throw yeah. another name into the mix. Well, I think you're all like underestimating who Lukaku actually has posters of on his walls, who Lukaku bases all his game off. <laughs> and since like when Lukaku first came to England at Chelsea, I was watching videos of this man. He's already admitted it in numerous interviews that you probably won't be able to find on the internet. Not because they don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, the game, the person that Lukaku models his game off the most, Mikel Antonio. I think no, I think with Antonio will have a good season. Now he's cemented one place and as a sort of a main forward. Um, and I think when he were at Sheffield Wednesday as well to bring us back into it because we all love a, a, a reflection. Um, when he was in that centre-forward role and solely in that centre-forward role, he was really, really brilliant, but he just needed to fine-tune that finishing, and now he's sort of fine-tuned it. Um, we saw that how Leicester couldn't deal with his strength, and even for the likes of Van Dijk, and they're going to struggle against how just how uh, rigid he is and how vigorous he can be. Um, but will he score more than 14 goals, which is his career best in a season? Probably not. Um, I think one person. I that, think he yeah, could I think if he so. stays fit. I, I think he could if he stays fit the whole year. Yeah, I mean, I think his his goal. You, when you look at the back, I think he could finish top of the goals in goal involvement charts because I think he'll pick up so many assists as well as goals. But I think one player we've not mentioned that could be an outside shout, and I know he started really well for his club. Um, I think Danny Ings might flourish a little bit this season. Um, in terms of now he's got better players around him. He's, he's got a creative spark in Emi Buendia, who's a lot more, even though, like, obviously... Just dig it in, Darren. <laughs> just dig it away. As Harry sat there, I'm sort of, sort of just bashing his head, like, as I'm, as I'm doing it. But um, I'm just going to keep this on now. As uh, mentioned... I think he's got better creators around him now. There's a, there's a better sort of, there's more creativity. And as we saw on, on, on Saturday, um, he, he just knows how to finish as well. We had a lovely overhead kick. And I think now he's going to get more shots off. I think I think Danny Ings, as long as he stays fit, will will be up there in sort of the one that goes unnoticed. And Harry, you, you know Ings is capable, I suppose, as much as you maybe wouldn't like to see that happen. Oh, no, I think he's more than capable to get the Golden Boot Awards. But my main concern, if I was an Aston Villa fan, is now every single Premier League team knows who Aston Villa's main threat is. Because it happened at Southampton, where he just got marked out of so many games. And don't get me wrong, what, it, what Devin's saying is 100% correct in the fact that he does have better quality players around him. You know, you can't take that away from it. It's pure fact. It is pure fact. But the worry for him is that he, he he does get marked out of games. And look at the, the Newcastle game. Yes, he, he did fantastically well. But there's not a lot of teams that are not worse than Newcastle defensively, but more intelligent sides, I'd say. But yeah, I think he, he can definitely be up there in the sort of same realms as Antonio, getting about 15 goals. But I would be surprised if he got any more than the 15 sort of total. You do say that he um, he gets marked. He's now marked out of the game, but you think around the players around him as well. Is that you've got to keep your eye on Buendia and then pockets. Um, obviously, Ollie Watkins is probably going to be coming off the left. Leon Bailey's nippy. 
uh, and even the you know like the likes of John McGinn with their late runs and and Douglas Louise will control the ball sort of deeper. You can't solely for just focus on Danny Ings and. I, I just I think Villa looking good, but well not looking good yet. I think they'll when they click they'll look really good, and I think Danny Ings will be the biggest beneficiary of that because especially with Southampton, the lot there was a lot of importance on him to score the goals and sort of create his own chances. Where now actually they're going to be on a plate for him. Yeah, I think what we have Sorry, to say, on, <laughs> what we have to say on um, Antonio as well, Devon. There has been saying how Lukaku looked up to him. So surely on Saturday we're expecting Chelsea to take a little cardboard cutout along to Anfield with them. That would be quite something if they some, followed it up. Some sort of wacky <laughs> celebration for Lukaku. I have to say, I, I wasn't a huge fan of that <laughs> celebration. I don't know what you thought of it. I just thought it was <laughs> I'm a not sure about... football purist, George. Is that is that the problem here? I just I love I love how he even got at least, <laughs> at least got it was in the, the home the kit. Yeah, at least the cutout was in the home kit. I'm I'm happy with that. They, they could have had a different one. Which so did they make the cutouts just for the just for that? No, game. no, no, no. I, I think the cutout looked like the one of Antonio in the old West Ham bowling shirt, the last one they had um, at the bowling ground. Sorry, so I think it was oh. an old cutout. You mean when when he made his debut? Was that was that his debut season? It might have been. Yeah, well, either that season or just the one after, but. Um, it was either either way from that time, and plus Antonio is just such a, a good character. You got to uh, you got to admire the confidence though to have it have it set yeah. up before the game, knowing he's going to oh, go and get that goal. He, he just oozes confidence though. He's just uh, he's someone that he's, he's someone that we're going to look back on, and I think a lot of people are going to obviously we won't, me and Harry won't for his memories that he's given our clubs, but a lot of people are going to forget about him in a few years and hopefully he'll be like, you'll get a goals compilation of Michael Antonio. And it's so he's so clumsy, but he's absolutely brilliant. I have to say, I really like the fact that he's got that number nine shirt as well. I just think there's, there's something, something proper about that. But that again is what was Harry saying? What what did you call me, Harry? When I, I called you a off football the... purist. No, there yeah. we go, football purist. That that is exactly nothing, a football nothing purist. Wrong with that, nothing wrong no, with absolutely that. not. But um, no, there is there is something I like about seeing the striker wearing the number nine. Um, <laughs> Norwich has just gone on loan to West Brom, so. I don't were, think were you there. very uh, were you very yeah. happy that um, that Burnley fielded a full eleven, one one to eleven as squad numbers the other day? Then. Um, I'm not sure I was excited as other people were about it, but I, I quite liked the idea that that's what they were doing. I, I can only hope that Sean Dyche was naming a team and he, no. he kind of, he penciled in the first nine and then he was like, should we just put them in just to complete the set? You know, that, that would be quite nice. Now they're, now they're signing not a non-British player. What's going on? I know. They're signing Cornet from Leon, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he might feel a tad out of place in that team, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think um, there's some interesting tweets around that. Um, laughing at Burnley's history of signing foreign <laughs> players, isn't there? But um, yeah. no, well, it, it looks a promising one, one for they, them. I've heard the four from Belgium, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. not sure if it's... They, they brought in Peters as well, didn't they, from uh, from Stoke, but he, he kind of... I mean, Goodwin since we, we Icelandic as well. Already. Oh yeah, yeah, that's well, another sorry, good one. Gunner. Yeah, maybe maybe we're maybe we're wrong to just assume that they never signed <laughs> one because we've just listed off a few there. Anyway, we're going on a little bit. We've spoken 
probably for a bit long enough. Um, we hope you've enjoyed it, though, and we hope that we haven't just cursed another nil-nil um, that's <laughs> coming up between Liverpool we and Chelsea because we did that a couple of times last season. But enjoy the weekend. Enjoy that game in particular. And we hope you have a better fantasy weekend as well. We hope your team gets a good result, unless you're a Leicester fan. Um, but have a good one. Thank you very much.